Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF, and you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, it's just me again today. Uh, Ishmael will be back on Wednesday, but he's away this week. Again, the uh, the basketball magazine obviously is a huge, huge adventure for him. And if you don't know as yet, by the way, we released it on Thursday. Baylor basketball will be on the cover of Dave Campbell's Texas Basketball Magazine. Uh, you can buy it now at texasbasketball.com slash store. Uh, it's a really exciting issue. I mean, I know that we're really known for our football issue, but our basketball issue is something that Ish has really built up in the last couple of months, in the last couple of years. And, you know, for me, I I got to write a big cover story on Baylor basketball. We also have a great feature story in the magazine on new Texas Tech women's basketball coach Krista Gerlich. And also, if you are a fan of high school basketball or if you have a child who does high school basketball, if you just want to know the landscape a little bit, I I, look, (laughs) the thing that I say, right, is that we have all these schools that we do high school previews for for the football magazine. Well, imagine all of a sudden you got to double everything up because it's men's and women's. And then on top of that, you have more schools because more of the small schools play basketball. Like most schools in the state of Texas obviously do play high school football, but there's a number that just can't field a team, right? Or doesn't want to field a team for whatever reason. That doesn't exist with high school basketball. Every single team in the state of Texas has a men's and a women's basketball team. That's like the one thing that you're required to have to be an educational institution in the state of Texas. So it's a huge undertaking. All the credit in the world to Ish for putting it together. Um, and I'm really excited. You guys should check it out if you haven't already. TexasBasketball.com and TexasBasketball.com slash store. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Another great weekend of football. Uh, a light week. A pretty light week, right? We didn't have some of the games that we thought that we'd have. Uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State obviously going off the table at the last second. UTEP versus Southern Miss going off the table literally at the last second. Um, but we still have some games to talk about. So we're going to start at the bottom of the college power poll. There is some movement. Uh, I think I said maybe a week or two ago that I didn't know whether North Texas would be able to move. Well, they can. Uh, so starting at the very bottom, Texas State, they're down to 1-5 in five now after a 30-20 to 20 loss to South Alabama. And look, what the thing to me that kind of gets me, right, because they did look a whole lot better with Brady McBride in the lineup. You do see how this team is not just better, but a whole lot better than the team that we saw for most of the last season. The issue just becomes there aren't a lot of opportunities for Texas State to show that they're better. Right now, you know, they they play against South Alabama on the road. um, And for most of this game, they're very competitive with it. They just kind of lose control there at the end. And that's kind of the issue, right? (laughs) Like, for whatever you want to say about what Texas State has accomplished to this point, which I think, you know, they've been very competitive. I think that they've overachieved in a lot of ways on the field. But in the win-loss column, they've obviously underachieved to this point. You know, I mean, the the one game that obviously uh, that they were expected to win, they did win against ULM. But this was another one that you really felt like you needed to win. And then you had that UTSA game. You had the close game against SMU. You had the close game against Boston College, who suddenly looks really good. It, it's just disappointing, right? I, I know that 1-5 with a bunch of close games doesn't feel good, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you're 1-5. You're a one-win team. And it's not going to get any easier. You still play BYU, Louisiana, Appalachian State, Arkansas State, and Coastal Carolina, who are all teams that are either ranked 
or right on the verge of being ranked, right? Like, it's a brutal schedule for Texas State. And after they they lost by 10 points to South Alabama, it's kind of hard for me to find wins on this schedule. So they're going to be at number 11, kind of like I was saying about North Texas earlier this week. It could be that they're at the bottom for quite a while. Next up, we got number 10, Texas Tech. Texas Tech did not play this week. Uh, they will be going through a quarterback change as Henry Columbia is going to take over as starting quarterback for Alan Bowman, which is, you know, not, not what I expected, obviously, coming into the year. I didn't know whether Columbia was going to have a chance to be a legitimate contributor for them, and we kind of thought that Alan Bowman was going to be able to get back and, and do his thing. But unfortunately, just hasn't been the best fit, I think, for everything. So it, it's tough, but, but what you're going to do? So... I'll be curious to see what they can do this upcoming week against West Virginia. But moving on to number nine, one team that moved up in the power pole, North Texas. They moved up two spots uh, after beating Middle Tennessee 52-35. to And in this game, you know, Asanani got the start, uh, but really struggled. Uh, turned over the ball three times at the beginning of the game. And that was a, a theme, you know, last week, obviously. Asanani uh, against Southern Miss also turned over the ball a couple of times, made it a much tougher ball game than it needed to be. So then they put Jason Bean in, and we kind of see why Seth Luttrell really liked Jason Bean in camp. You know, he was the primary uh, backup quarterback for most of the last two seasons, um, and he started against Houston Baptist, but uh, was pulled a little earlier once they got to FBS play. But we really get to see why UNT was so high on him. Uh, he obviously has a good arm, but he's also just such an incredible dual-threat quarterback. We got to see that a little bit. Uh, I think he rushed for 169 yards and three touchdowns, in addition to throwing for over 180 yards and two touchdowns in relief of Asanani. And the big thing about putting Jason Bean into the game is that it really changes the way that you have to play offense. Because Asanani is more of a traditional pocket passer. Uh, not that he's Mason Fine. I mean, nobody's Mason Fine on this roster, but... Uh, but, you know, he's Mason Fine in terms of that you scheme to throw from the pocket, that you scheme to keep him in the pocket and to protect him that sort of way. Whereas with Jason Bean, you're running more of an an option-based offense in a lot of ways. You're you're doing a very run-based offense, which is something that we've seen that Seth Luttrell has been able to scheme up before. But it's just a different sort of look than what we've seen in previous years. Uh, and I think it works, right? I think that it looks really good. It just makes less mistakes, obviously, is a big part of it after uh, the way that North Texas has turned over the ball in the first couple of weeks of the year. Um, and and it really helped unlock Trey Siggers and DeAndre Torrey, who both had great games as well. So I do think that this is going to be a direction that we see heading forward. And, and look, after North Texas's start to the season, after losing their first three games against FBS opponents, I think it's time, right? I think it's time to try something new. So uh, North Texas moves up a few spots. This is more what I expected to see from them. Uh, number eight, we've got the Texas Longhorns. Texas did not play this week. And uh, and I'll go ahead and talk about the number seven team, the Baylor Bears, at the same time as them. You know, Texas and Baylor, we don't know if they're going to play this upcoming week. Uh, Baylor still shut down right now uh, because of the, the whole COVID-19 situation at Baylor. Um, you know, they had an astonishing number of positive cases and an astonishing number of players quarantined. It's really unclear whether Baylor's going to be able to field a football team by the time that they need to go to Austin this upcoming Saturday. Uh, as for Texas, you know, I don't think that having another week off to kind of work through some issues would be a bad thing, but you know, look, Texas is obviously at a crossroads right now. We've heard all the the talk about the eyes of Texas. I don't 
you know, I really don't want to get into that because I really don't think that that's the issue. I don't, I, I don't really understand why people are trying to make it the issue in a lot of ways either because, I mean, look, I, I think that we've seen that reasonable teams and reasonable people and reasonable players can disagree on how to handle these situations. Um, the reality is, though, is that they're struggling to block, they're struggling to tackle, and, and I don't think that I don't think that a song is the reason that their secondary is having trouble tackling, right? That's what it comes down to. So I'll be curious to see whether they come out a little bit more uh, fired up, a little bit more motivated, and if they do play against Baylor this week, uh, if that game does happen, I think it's a good opportunity to test themselves against some really good receivers. So uh, Texas at 8, Baylor at 7 right now. At number 6, another team that lost a game, the UTEP Miners. UTEP, uh, they lose a game against Southern Miss after that game is postponed at pretty much the last second. I mean, I think it was Thursday or Friday that the news ended up coming out that UTEP wouldn't play this weekend. Uh, you know, tough situation. It's going to happen this year. Uh, so UTEP got a, a well-deserved off week. Um, and this upcoming week, they play against Charlotte, who's a team that teams have been able to move the ball a little bit against. So I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that UTEP can keep some of their offensive production going. And it'll be a really good test for their defense, I think. Uh, you know, obviously, North Texas made Charlotte look like one of the greatest offenses in the history of football <laughs> whenever they, they played a couple of weeks ago. And I don't expect that to happen against UTEP, who's been pretty salty to start the year defensively. Um, Charlotte, on the other hand, has also not played a game since that North Texas game because of a postponement. But uh, I think it'll be a good opportunity for UTEP. Again, I mean, they're 3-2 and two after playing five games. And whatever you want to say about two of those teams being FCS opponents, I mean, they have a winning record right now, and they've looked pretty good doing it. So moving on to number five, TC Horn Frogs, another team with an off week. Um, I, I think that, yeah, the entire Big 12 in the state of Texas with Baylor having their game canceled did ultimately have off weeks this week. Um, I think the only game that happened was West Virginia versus Kansas in the conference, and we don't have to pretend to care about that game. So, um, But TCU at number five, look, the only thing that they needed to work on this week is they needed to find a way to keep Max Duggan healthy, right? They needed to keep him upright, um, and they need to get a little bit more consistency. So hopefully this was a good week of practice for them, but we learned nothing new about them. Next week, they play against Oklahoma, and we'll kind of see pretty quickly... Which of these teams is is you know gonna have a chance to rebound and have a chance to maybe move back into that Big Twelve title conversation? Uh, it's been a few years since since Oklahoma didn't win the thing, right? I, I think that they've won every year since 2015 at this point. So we'll see if TCU can you know put a nail in their coffin with a third conference loss. But it's I think it's gonna be a tough uh, situation for TCU, who's obviously been inconsistent to start the year. Moving on to number four, we've got the UTSA Roadrunners. UTSA now 3-3 three and three after a 28-16 loss to Army. They were competitive. I mean, they fought hard. Uh, Lowell Narcisse, unfortunately, I think in the third quarter, uh, he started at quarterback for them, but he went down with what looked like a lower body injury. Jeff Trailer said it didn't look good, unfortunately, so... I mean, this team has just been absolutely snake-bitten at the quarterback position. I don't know any other way to put it. Uh, and, and again, against Army, one of the big issues for them, too, just ended up being that they couldn't tackle. I, I mean, obviously, Army's whole offense, their whole option offense is built on getting guys in space and making you make decisions. And UTSA's defense looked a little questionable at times, right? Like, nothing to be concerned about. I mean, 28 points is certainly no big deal. But, um, but you know, it, it wasn't as disciplined as they had been the last couple of weeks. 
you know, the Army asks you to make mistakes. And, uh, you know, I think it was in the first quarter. They, you know, UTSA missed a tackle and Army boosted it away for a touchdown. Like, that's just what happens when you play against an option team is that, you know, one or two things goes wrong and everything goes wrong. So, uh, no reason to be concerned about UTSA. Now they go play Louisiana Tech, who hasn't been all that this season. So it'll be good to see if they can get a win and stay above 500. But uh, down to 3-3 three and three after that 3-0 and oh start. Nothing concerning, just uh, uh, the schedule got a whole lot more difficult. So moving on, we're going to talk about the number three team next, the Houston Cougars. They did move down a spot after losing 43-26 to to BYU. But at 1-1, one and one, nothing to be concerned about. We're really starting to see the difference between some of these teams that have played a lot of games versus the ones that haven't, right? Like this week, I think BYU's up to their fifth game of the season, Houston only in their second, and especially to start these games, it's been kind of brutal at times. Houston in this game, uh, they go down early, 14-3, to and I think it was Joe Broback who had the stats. Houston in first quarters have been minus 21, and in second quarters have been plus 24. This has been a bizarre team through two games to start the season, but to some extent that's obviously expected because you don't get these tune-up games. We've seen this across college football, really, that the first game has been a bizarre game for many of these teams, and, uh, and you know, Houston's behind. You see why Dana Holgerson's upset that he starts losing these games, obviously, against Rice to start the year, against Baylor, against North Texas. Like, they had five different games that were canceled before they got a chance to play a game, and those are the moments when you get to sort of work out some of these kinks, and and Houston hasn't really had a chance to do that. But the thing that I'll say about Houston is that Clayton Toon looks like the quarterback that we thought that he could be heading into his junior season. Uh, for most of this game, I'd argue that he outplayed Zach Wilson, who you know, had a crazy fourth quarter and, and led them to a win and completely lived up to the billing. But uh, for most of this game, Clayton Toon was the best quarterback on the field. And he completed two-thirds of his passes, passed for over 300 yards. Uh, I mean, at times, I would argue that Dana Holgerson went away from him a little bit too much in the fourth quarter there um, because he was hitting everything to three quarters. And... Um, you know, I think that that's one of the best developments that you can expect from Houston this year, from this team so far. Uh, and you just see how many weapons they've got out there, too, at receiver. You know, it seems like every single week they're finding some new guy who's making big plays for them. So uh, defensively, a little bit of a letdown at the end there. Um, I, I won't lie, you know, some, some a couple of questionable calls down at the end there, but that's not the reason that they lost the game. That's not the reason that they went down 17. And, and so a 17-point game makes it look a lot further apart than it really was. Like, this was a really close game into the fourth quarter, but uh, but Houston just kind of collapses at the end there on both sides of the ball. So it's still very early. I mean, Houston is a team that we didn't necessarily expect to be a top 15 sort of team this year, whereas BYU obviously comes into this game at number 14. Uh, again, sort of like what I was talking about with Texas State, though. Like, the schedule gets a lot harder. They go and play Navy next week. They play UCF at home the week after that. At number eight, number eight, by the way, Cincinnati versus South Florida. That's a win. At SMU, that's a tough game. Tulsa's had everybody's number this year, and you close at Memphis. So, all of a sudden, after losing this game, this game that was pretty winnable, things get a whole lot harder. And, uh... You know, I think that Houston has to feel okay about where their roster's at. But again, they got to get things up to speed really quick because now you go play an option team and then it's a whole bunch of, you know, top 25 teams that are going to be competing for the conference. So 
Uh, Houston in a tough spot, but still number three. Uh, didn't really consider moving them lower than that, honestly. But number two, moving up one spot, is Texas A&M. Uh, they don't look great in a 28-14 win over Mississippi State, but they do everything that they need to. And the thing that I'll say, right, is that they were absolutely dominant on the defensive line. And, you know, for context, against an air raid team, you do have the ability to to kind of pin your ears back, as they say, and go get after the quarterback. But they were able to do that in this game at such a high level. You know, they combined, uh, seven players combined for six sacks in this game. They came from every direction. They had linebacker blitzes. They had, and they only ran with three. That's the other thing that you say, too, is that uh, Texas A&M only attacked with three down defensive linemen for most of this game. You know, they kind of felt like that was the way that you go and beat this air raid team is by dropping eight. And obviously, you know, I expect Mike Leach to adjust later in the season and, and into his next season as his team gets a little further along. But so far since that LSU game, uh, a lot of SEC opponents have had a lot of success by doing that. And Texas A&M was no exception. I was curious to see in this game whether the linebackers and some of those safeties would be able to cover. But, you know, they've had some issues doing that in the first couple of weeks of the year. But Look, all of a sudden, this starts looking like, well, maybe that was just Alabama, right? Maybe Alabama's just that good. You know, we see Alabama go and beat Georgia and not really break a sweat, you know? So maybe Alabama's just that good, and and if that's a deal, all of a sudden, this Texas A&M team looks a whole lot better because they beat Mississippi State, they've beaten Florida. Vanderbilt was, again, like I was talking about with Houston, one of those weird first games of the year that I'm not that concerned about. And suddenly the rest of the SEC doesn't look all that tough, especially in the West, right? Auburn goes and loses the game uh, over here. Bo Nix looks absolutely terrible. Tennessee loses a terrible game. South Carolina wins, but that's a team that Texas A&M has beaten consistently. Arkansas picks up a win, but that's a team that, that Texas A&M has beaten consistently. So there's no unwinnable games left on the schedule. And in fact, I'd argue that Texas A&M might be favored in the vast majority of their games, if not all of them, through, through the rest of the season. So I think you have to feel really good about where Texas A&M is right now. You have to feel really good about where that running game's at. I mean, Isaiah Spiller was tremendous before he kind of got a little dinged up. So this this is turning into a complete team pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what they do over the bye and how they come out after that because there's a lot of potential left with this team and uh, they have a lot of upside left to grow. And, you know, coming into the year, we thought that because of their schedule, they'd have a chance to maybe win 10 games and, and them adding Florida and Tennessee seemed to throw a real wrench into that, right? Playing an SEC only conference schedule. But now you pick up a couple of wins, you pick up a win over Florida, you beat Mississippi state for shockingly the first time since 2012. I can't believe it. That's the case uh, in Starkville, but uh, you know, all of a sudden, you've done these things that you didn't necessarily expect to do heading into the year, and things are open again. Like, they have a good chance to to accomplish what they want to accomplish this year. So, I feel good about where Texas A&M is at, but of course, I'm not moving SMU. SMU is 5-0. and I believe the only perfect team left in Texas at this point, uh, not counting Rice, obviously, who has not played a football game, but I believe is scheduled to open up this weekend. So, that should be kind of interesting to talk about. But SMU, 5-0, and they, they don't look great. In fact, they look kind of bad in a 37-34 win over Tulane. But it doesn't matter. You pick up a road conference win, you take a road conference win. Um, the, thing, the two things that I'll say about this team, um, last year when they lost Reggie Robertson, they became a different team and not in a good way. 
And we saw some of that this year, where they became a very boomer bust team. You know, Reggie Robertson's that guy who kind of has that middle game to him. You know, he, he was the guy who, obviously, you can go and target him deep, like he's a complete receiver, but he was also one of those guys who, when you needed 12 yards, he's the guy who could get you the ball. And obviously, James Prochet last year was, was another guy who could do that. And we kind of saw in this game that everything was very boomer bust, and they boomed a lot, right? Like, uh, Shane Bouchelle threw for over 400 yards, I want to say, in this game, um, and three different receivers posted at least 100 receiving yards. Like, it was a big game for everybody, but it's going to be interesting to see, especially, you know, with Robertson gone. And the other thing that I'll say is that TJ McDaniel being gone has actually been a really big deal because he's really the guy who's been their workhorse back, who they've gotten to carry, you know, get three to four yards per play every time. And Ulysses Bentley is fantastic. I mean, he's a potential game-breaker, but he's just not one of those guys that you just hand the ball to 25 times a game and ask him to get, you know, 100 yards. That's just not his game. That's not his body type either. And I'll be curious to see whether they're able to develop somebody else into that in the short time. And that's the nice thing, right, is that, you do feel like you have more of those options on this team because you recruited at a high level the last two years. But now this upcoming week, you got Cincinnati, who I mentioned right now is number eight in the country. This is before the AP poll uh, for this upcoming week comes out. But Cincinnati's coming to town. It's going to be, I mean, the biggest game at Gerald Ford Stadium since whatever, right? Like the 80s? I don't know. I mean, I don't think that they played another one as big the last couple of years, unless you want to count, like, their chance to get to 10 wins last year. I mean, that was a big game, but yeah, I mean, I, this has to be one of the biggest games in recent memory at the stadium. So it's going to be really exciting. Uh, you know, I, I hopefully will, uh, I will hopefully be at that game. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be the marquee matchup of the weekend. And if SMU wins that game, they are in the driver's seat for the AAC title and they'll probably be a top 10 football team too. So SMU again, Still the team to beat. Uh, like I mentioned, I, I feel like I need to clarify this because you can't see this on the article that we released. But when we put this together, this is pound for pound, right? This is a peer against peer. So, like, you know, obviously I'm not saying that SMU for sure would go and beat Texas A&M, right? I, I do think it would be a competitive game. I think it would be fun. But, uh, but what I'm saying is that SMU, relative to their peers, right, relative to the rest of their conference, is, to me, a step above where Texas A&M is relative to their conference, right? Texas A&M has to play Alabama, obviously. Texas A&M has to play Georgia. Um, you know, Texas A&M has to play Florida. So it's a different situation, obviously, than SMU having to play Cincinnati and Memphis. But look, I think that SMU, obviously, at this point, too, like, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, not to throw shade, this isn't a MAC team, right, ranking at number one. This is a legit team that I expect to be in the top 15 this upcoming week and potentially move into the top 10 if they're able to win a game. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what SMU does this week. Um, they can only cement their role, I think. Uh, if they win this game, I mean, they're going to be, to me, kind of runaway favorites to, to end the year as the number one team in the college power poll. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for me. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys uh, sticking with me through these solo podcasts as, uh, you know, we've had to do them the last couple of times, but Ish will be back this upcoming Wednesday. And like I said, you really should check out our magazine at textbasketball.com. Uh, the cover is really, really cool. I really like the design that we were able to do. We weren't able to do a photo shoot, unfortunately, like we wanted to do because of, you know, that whole living in a global pandemic thing, but uh, it was still a lot of fun. We've got some great photos still from Baylor. 
Um, and I'm really happy with the way that the story and, and the cover turned out. So make sure and check it out at TexasBasketball.com. We'll also preview every single team in the state of Texas in the magazine. Um, so if you're a fan of one of the teams that we uh, cover on this program, you'll be previewed in the magazine. And if you're a fan of a team that only plays basketball at the Division One level and doesn't play anything else, we'll have a preview for that too. So make sure and check it out, TexasBasketball.com and TexasBasketball.com slash store. But again, uh, thanks so much for joining us. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. I almost lost my head there for a second. Excuse me. You can also follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be back with you guys again on Wednesday.